Hey friend, this is Ben Liston, Senior Pastor of the Stanton First Church of God. I want to personally thank you for joining us today here on our podcast. I hope the message is challenging, encouraging, and builds your faith. Now enjoy the message. Message stand for the reading of God's Word and turn your Bibles to Psalm 9. Psalm 9 is where we'll be today. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Psalm 9, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities, even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Hold, pause, say amen right there. Amen. Yeah. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who, lift me, you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own food is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Jesus said, my words shall never pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. God said, my word shall not return void. Thank the Lord for his word today. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we consider it joy and an honor to be here today. Lord, I thank you for all of these people that have come today to give you worship and glory and honor. Lord, as we've come together today, we desire to be in right relationship with you. We desire to give you honor and glory. We desire to be correct and upright in, with you. Lord, that's our desire today. And Lord, as we've come here, we've worshiped. Oh, we've had some good singing. Oh, we had a good special. 
we had a good prayer time. But Lord, now we have come here today, most of all, to hear from you. To hear from your word. Not because the messenger is important, but because the message is of eternal importance. So Lord, I pray today that you would use me as your mouthpiece. As I simply deliver the message which you have said to be preached. Lord, I pray you'd fill my mind and my heart and my lips with only what you want me to say. And may you give me discernment not to say what I should not say. Lord, may you fill this place. May we leave here today not praising any one person, any preacher, any singer. But may we leave here today praising you for what you've done. Speak to us now, Lord. May the Holy Spirit of God illuminate the Scripture to us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the Sunday morning crowd said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Psalm 9 is written by the psalmist David. And this psalm is written shortly after the time in which he slew the giant, that giant Goliath. It is a psalm of victory. David finds himself having defeated that giant, and David knows that that is not the only battle he will face. He knows there are more to come. In fact, he lays it out here in Psalm 9. But there's one thing that he knows for sure. He knows that no matter what, as long as he is trusting the Lord, as long as he is being obedient to the Lord, the Lord will ensure that he receives victory. In other words, David knows that he is on the winning side. Amen. Well, we all dead today. We, we, man, alive. Everybody okay? Is it a little cool in here? You're hot. Well, figure something out, y'all. All right. But David knew no matter what, he would receive victory by putting his trust in the Lord. If you look through the Bible, you will find that God's people over and over again are winning. I mean, think about this for a minute. Go back. Let's even go back further than, uh, than this story of David. Let's go back to maybe Moses. Yeah, what about Moses? God calls Moses to lead his people out of bondage. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is surrounded around that story of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And it's that part when they, they get outside of, of Egypt and the Pharaoh, just, he changes his mind. Imagine that, a political leader that changes their mind. <clears throat> Say amen right there. But anyway, run on one platform and govern with a totally different platform. Say amen right there. That's good preaching. All right. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> but he changes his mind. He decides he's going to not let God's people go. And he takes off after them. And the, the, the children of Israel are on the edge of the Red Sea. And God, through Moses, splits the Red Sea. And that is a, an amazing miracle right there. Amen. Let me just clarify something. That was a miracle. And let me just say something else. That really did happen, y'all. That really did happen. 
God parted those waters. And here's, the, here's the, another miracle. They didn't walk across on uh, muddy ground. They walked across on dry ground. Here's a, but here's the cool part. Here's the part I like. You know, the blood, the guts, the violence. This is my favorite part. As soon as those children of Israel get across that, that ocean, here comes Pharaoh's men and they're trying to come after him. You know what God does? I like this right here. As they get into the ocean, God lets the water go and they all drown. In other words, God's people won that day. There was victory was given to them that day. What about old Noah? You remember Noah? You remember Noah was building the ark for nearly 40 years. And for 40 years, they came and mocked him and made fun of him and said, you idiot, it hasn't rained in who knows how long. It's not going to rain anytime soon. What are you doing, hoss cat? And he just kept doing what he was doing. He kept building the ark. It took him quite a while. He got it all finished. He, he begins to prepare. They begin to gather the animals. They begin to gather food. And they start to go inside of the ark and the people are still standing outside and saying, you're, you're a moron. I think that's what they would have said. And he just kept doing what God told him to do. But then the rain started to fall. And look up in here. The rain just didn't fall. The Bible says that the water was literally coming up out of the ground. And as that water begins to surround their ankles... And as it gets a little bit higher up to their knees, and as it gets a little bit higher up to their waist, all of a the sudden they start pounding on the door of the ark. Hey Noah, we're your best friend. Let us in. <laughs> Noah and his three boys and their three wives and Noah's wife won by being in the ark. They were not touched by that flood. They were not, they, they did not die in that flood. Why? Because they were in the ark. They won that day. You can think about Gideon. Gideon uh, was a coward hiding under a wine press, scared to death. And God calls him and says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to bring great victory to Israel. And you know the story. He, him and about 300 men go and fight off nearly 3,000 enemy soldiers. And they won. What about Paul and Silas? They're in that Roman jail. They didn't have enough physical strength to kill a fly. Here they are sitting in jail. They're being starved. They're dehydrated. They've been beat a few times. But they're in this jail. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord... Well, first of all, let me clarify something. They're in the jail. Don't miss this. this. There's a message coming on this text very soon. Get ready. All right? But they're sitting in the jail and they're praising the Lord. I mean, I don't know how this went, but can I give you my assumption? I think this is how this went. Okay? Paul's over here. He's against the wall. He's, he's locked up. He's in chains. Silas is across the room. He's on the other wall. He's locked up. He's in chains. They're probably bleeding. Probably skinny as a rail because they haven't eaten in who knows how long. And Silas looks over there at Paul and says, Hey, Paul, what do you think? Paul says, We're on the winning side. Yeah, that's right, Paul. We are on the winning side. He said, Yeah, we are. We're on the winning side. We'll be just fine. 
He says, hey, Silas, what do you think about that God we serve? Silas says, oh, he's a good God. And it just takes off from there. They start shouting and praising the Lord. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord comes down. An angel comes down and an earthquake takes place in that jail. And Paul and Silas are released. But here's the other part that sometimes we skip over. That jailer says, that jailer wants to kill himself because he knows that these people have escaped. Therefore, his life is on the line. He will be put to death for the fact that these men have escaped from jail. And Paul says, hold up. Nobody's dead or nobody's left. We're all here. And that jailer is so overcome with the power of God that's in that place. He looks at Paul and Silas and says, men, what must I do to be saved? Oh, I like that question. That's like telling a hound dog to sick him. You ask a preacher, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's reply was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul and Silas won that day. They got released from jail that day. Can I submit to you today that as 21st century saints, as the church of the living God, as spiritual Israel, listen, we are winners. There's no losers in the kingdom of God. We're winners. We're winners. I've come to preach a message to you entitled today, We Are On The Winning Side. We are on the winning side. I want you to notice a few things from this text that I believe will help us today. It's going to encourage us today. First thing I want you to notice is it's a psalm of thanksgiving. Look at verse number one. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I want to remind you again today, we are fighting all of our battles from a place of victory. We are winners in Jesus Christ. We are winners. But there are many times in our walk with the Lord that we have a, we sometimes get a spirit of complaining. Ever been there? <laughs> Maybe you're there today. You won't be after this message, but listen, we have a spirit of complaining. We, we think to ourselves how bad it is, how awful it looks. But I can tell you this, as David is sitting there, I don't know, maybe he's cleaning the blood off of his sword, that he, or off of Goliath's sword that he cut Goliath's head off with. I can tell you right now, he's sitting there and he's, he's thanking God for what he's done. He's thanking God for giving him victory in this battle. He's not at a place of complaining. Listen, he's not complaining about the battle. He's thanking God that he won the battle. And I think sometimes we as 21st century Christians get into this repetitive place of always complaining. Now listen, I know everybody's got problems. I've got problems. You've got problems. We live in a sin-cursed world. I understand that. But I want to remind you today that in the midst of all of that, we're winners in Jesus Christ. But I mean complaining all the time. I mean, sure, I mean this week, I don't know if you've heard or not. 
This week, they raised the interest rates again. Did y'all hear that? Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't borrow, Caleb won't like this, but don't borrow money right now. Say amen right there. That's good advice. Hey, you didn't have to hire a financial expert to tell you that. I told you that it's free, all right? (laughs) Don't borrow, this is not the time to borrow money. Don't refinance anything right now. (laughs) Amen, because the interest rates are way too high. We're at a 40-year high for interest rates. I also heard this week, we're at a 50-year high for inflation. And here's what I hear. Oh, Joe Biden. Oh, Congress. Oh, the Senate. If they get their act together, we get out of this, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. We can't borrow money. We can't do this. We can't do that. The times are bad. Look how wicked the world is. Listen, I understand times are bad, but Can I remind you of something? You could be in hell right now. You could be in hell. I I know you've got some physical issues. I know you've got some health concerns. And I'm not downplaying those. But can I remind you today that if you're saved, if you're in Jesus Christ, hey, you're a winner. I, I I know you've got some aches and pains. And I know the doctor's report is not so good. But you could be in hell. But thanks be to God who sent Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. We're winners, amen. I mean, what about Calvary? I know we think about, or we read about, we think about the cross. I don't think we'll ever know, maybe until we get to heaven what exactly those that were there that day experienced. The disciples, as they watched this one who promised all of these things and promised them eternity in heaven and promised this and promised that, and now he's dead. He's been beat. In fact, here's what you need to know about the Roman crucifixion. It was, it was normal that they would beat a man before that he would be crucified. But here's what's interesting about Jesus is that he was beat beyond the normal rules for whipping. You say, well, why was that? I'll tell you why that was. Because the devil, Satan himself, knew that if he went to the cross, he was done. And so he did his dead level best to kill him before he got to the cross. But we look at Calvary and we see a a Jesus Christ who has been beat. Isaiah says he was beat beyond recognition. Didn't even look like a man. Didn't even look like a human. And as as you're sitting here looking at the cross, if you're trying to picture in your mind what it was like that day, it looks like a pretty bleak picture. Here Jesus breathes his last breath. He's hanging on that cross. They come by and they put a spear in his side. And blood and water come out of his side. And that's another message coming someday. There's a whole, that's a good thing right there. But anyway, blood and water comes out of his side. You're standing there watching all this happen. Maybe you're John. You're sitting there with Mary, his mother. And you see all this going on. And then this fellow named Joseph of Arimathea walks up and says, Can I have his body? And the Roman guard said, sure, 
So they give him his body and he takes him, listen to this, he takes him to a borrowed tomb. We, anybody in here ever been in a borrowed tomb? Anybody been asked to borrow their grave plot? I didn't think so. He placed Jesus in a borrowed tomb. Things looked a little bleak that day. Things looked a little off. It looked like hell had the final say. But Jesus was just getting started. On that third and glorious morning, on that 72 hour, on that God appointed time, the rock of ages got up and walked out of the grave. Amen. And forever he declared in that moment that all, would put the, all that would put their faith and trust in him, listen up in here, are winners. Amen. Winners. So we ought to thank God. Enough of the complaining, thank God. I mean, think about this for a minute. We ought to praise God for his presence. Look at verse number three with me. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish right here at your presence. Now we know I have preached quite thoroughly through the life of David in the last, oh, I don't know, two years. So if you've been here for a year or two, then you, you know a little bit about David's life. If you study your Bible, you know about David's life. And here's what you know, that this is the first of many battles that would come for David. There were many times when David found himself completely alone and isolated. Saul hated him and wanted to kill him. Absalom, his son, hated him and wanted to kill him. In fact, Absalom wanted the throne is what he wanted. Jonathan was killed, or Jonathan had to walk away from him, and Jonathan was later killed in battle. By the way, that was Saul's son. And there are many moments in David's life where he finds himself completely alone and deserted by all of his friends, by his family. His wife deserted him. His wife turned her, turned his, turned her back on him. But he reminds himself and he thanks God here in this psalm for his presence. Oh, listen here, children of God. Listen, Christians. Listen, church of God. Let me remind you of something today. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're winners today because the presence of God is with us. But let me take it a step further. David says, your presence. He says, they shall fall and perish at your presence. Let me tell you something. When, when we get into the presence of God, or when we are living in the presence of God, or when we are worshiping in the corporate presence of God, stuff happens. Amen. I'm not talking about the presence as in, he walks with me and he talks with me. We know that God is with us. Amen, right? He's with us. But David here is talking about the manifested presence of God. The tangible presence of God. Because here's what David is saying. That in the manifested tangible presence of God, the enemies, they go away. They fall to the wayside. They perish is what he says here in the text. I get really concerned when people say to me, I, I've heard people, or people have said to me before, Well, preacher, I, I've been saved a long time and just found it out. 
I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You're telling, you're telling me that spiritually you passed from death into life. You're telling me that you got engaged to be married to Jesus. You're telling me that you got grafted in to the olive branch or into the branch. You're, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that you have passed from death unto life. You're telling me that you got adopted in the family of God and you just now figured it out? Look up in here. My hind leg. Let me tell you, when God gets on somebody, when the presence of God moves in someone's life, hey, look up in here. You know it. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You know it. You know where he's at. You know where he's moving. You know what he's doing. You're, you're very much aware. Oh, how we desperately need the tangible presence of God. And we need to thank Him for it when He moves among us. But I also believe we ought to praise God for His purpose. Look at verse number 4. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. I want you to go back up to the beginning of verse 4. For you have maintained my right and my cause cause David makes it clear that he had a cause beyond himself he had something beyond himself and he was he was fighting listen he was fighting as an instrument of God don't miss it for God's people that's who he's fighting for this was not all about David. But this was about God and his people. And David was humbled with the fact that God would use him to slay the giant and preserve his people. You know, I'm thankful that, that I'm a part of something that's much bigger than I am. I'm thankful that I'm a part of something that's much bigger than my family is. You know what that is? The church. Listen, the church is much bigger than my personality. It's much bigger than the, than the, the, the fancy sermon outlines I come up with. It's much bigger than, than my preaching schedule. It's much bigger than, than my family. It, it's a lot bigger than that. And God has called each one of us, whether we're called into the ministry or whether we've been called to salvation. But he, the reality is he has called each one of us, listen, to his service. Don't get offended. It's not about you. I know. I'm getting looks. Some of y'all bowing up on me. I know. I know. I know we don't like that because this world tells us the exact opposite. The world tells us how great and wonderful we are and how I'm so sick and tired of hearing this. Here's what I hear all the time. Well, I deserve it. Hmm. No, the only thing you and I deserve is hell. A little nervous, aren't you? I figured. That's all we deserve. I, I don't, listen, I, I don't deserve to be here. 
There's, listen, there's nothing I've done within myself. David had done nothing within himself to deserve the call of God to save God's people. I deserve nothing. I, I don't deserve to be here doing what I'm doing. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, listen, I'm as out, as out of place as a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. I mean, that's out of place, y'all. I mean, that's out of place. And here's why I say that. I feel like sometimes we, we tell God we deserve to be where we're at in our Christian life. It's only by the good grace of God that I am where I'm at. Not because of my talent, not because of my skill, not because I have a nice brown suit on. It is a nice suit, isn't it? Amen. Thank you. That's good preaching. All right. But anyway, but it's not because of any of that. It's because of the good grace of God who saved me, who sanctified me, who called me to the ministry and has placed me here to serve him. He's done the same thing with you. He, he called you to salvation. You responded. You, you submitted to him. You, you gave your heart to him. You gave your life to him. You put your faith and trust in Jesus. And He has placed you in the body here. Right here. At this local New Testament Bible preaching, Bible believing, Bible teaching church. He's placed you here. Don't miss it. For His purpose. Not yours. Not yours. He didn't place you here so you could put your family in he doesn't place anybody anywhere to, to put their family in leadership roles. That's not why he places them there. He, he doesn't place people in the church uh, to get ahead or to make themselves look good. But he places them in the church, in the body, for his will and his purpose. David realized it's not about me. But it's about God's purpose. But also it's about God's work. It's about God's work. We ought to praise God for God's work. He's called each of us to something. I'll guarantee you He's called each of us to share the gospel. Amen. He's called each of us to share the gospel. He's called each of us to be ambassadors. He's called each of us to share our testimony. He's called each, each of us to love and to preach and to teach. Uh, you can guarantee that. He's called you to something. And it's His work. It's for His purpose. But all in the while of doing that, all in the while of serving God, we, we, we need to also praise Him for His protection. Look at verse number 5. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have, you have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. Now look at verse the beginning of verse 7. But the Lord shall endure forever. While we're in this life, this Christian life, while we are serving God for His purpose... We had to thank God for his protection. Here, David, he understands and he knows that it's because of God's 
presence, God's cause, and God's protection that he is on the winning side. I think sometimes we get kind of arrogant in our spiritual lives. We get kind of arrogant. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, I'm good. I mean, me and my wife, we've been married a long time and we've got our children and they're doing just fine. We go to a good church and it's all good there. Um, We just arrived. Can I remind you today you wouldn't have any of that were it not for the protection of God? You've got to thank God today. If if your marriage is still together after any length of time, (laughs) six months you're doing pretty good. (laughs) Right? With a divorce rate that's up over 50%. If you're, still, if you're still married for any length of time, you ought to praise God for protecting that marriage. Because let me tell you something, friend. Temptation is around every corner. It's around every corner. Our sexualized society is constantly flaunting itself at men and women. Constantly. The temptation is heavy. The temptation is great. So the fact that you're still married, you ought to thank God for His protection. He's protected your marriage. What about our children? I tell you, I... I get a little fussed up when people start messing with kids. You know? That's why I'm so much a... I mean, I'm like a junkyard bulldog when when it comes to our schools and what's being taught. Because let me tell you something. If If our children in this generation, meaning if you have children right now in school, if they graduate... Our school system. Listen. And they still believe in God? You better praise God. Because they're not being taught it. I can guarantee you that. And it, it, it really sickens me and it, it angers me with a righteous anger. That the spirit behind, which is the enemy, the, the Satan, the spirit that is behind all of this junk critical race theory, LGBTQ, all that. The the spirit that's behind that, listen up in here, is going after the vulnerable and the innocent. Listen, that spirit doesn't go after 50-year-old men and try to convince them they're a woman. It goes after children. And there's a reason for that. Because children are vulnerable. Children are gullible. And they're innocent. So we, got, we ought to thank God for His protection. He's protected our children. What about our church? I'm thankful for our church. Are you? Amen. Yeah. I'm thankful for what God has done here. 
I'm thankful that he placed me here, me and my family here to pastor you. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this building. I'm thankful for a house to live in. Thank y'all. We appreciate that. It beats sleeping on the street. So anyway, I'm thankful for all that. I'm thankful for our padded pews. I'm thankful that we have a, a spiritually minded board. I'm thankful for that. But listen, false teaching and false doctrine is around every corner. That's something else I'm like a junkyard bulldog on. Is that false teaching? Why? Because God, God has protected this church. And let me tell you something. We're getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary. What a wonderful time that's going to be. And we're going to have a, a, a documentary that's in its final stages of being produced. And I've seen some clips of it. It's, it's really neat to see this. And, but you do know as wonderful and as blessed as this church has been, this church has been through some battles. Do you know that? Former pastors, former leaders of this church have been through some battles. But because of God's protection and because, listen, we're winners, we've made it through. Not every church is as fortunate as that. We ought to thank God for His protection of our church. David says, I won. I know I won. David says, I know I'm on the winning side. But as excited as I am about that and as much celebration that I want to have about the fact that I won, I need to be thankful for some things. He says, I'm thankful for God's protection. I'm thankful for God's presence. And I'm thankful for God's purpose. Secondly, I want you to notice a psalm of transparency. We see a psalm of thankfulness. We see a psalm of transparency. Look at verse number six, 16 with me. The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. It's a psalm of transparency because, first of all, God's approach to the world. I want you to notice in verse 16 it says, The Lord is known by what? Judgment. This is talking about God's approach to the world. It's, it's a psalm of transparency because it shows us God's approach to the world. You do understand that God has many attributes. Do you understand that? Uh, mercy. Thank God for His mercy. Boy, you all tough crowd today. I've said that three times. I figured you all figured it out by now. Thank God for His mercy. Uh, another attribute is His grace. Thank God for His grace. Yeah. Another attribute is His love. Thank God for His love. But there's another one we don't like to talk about very much. His judgment. That's an attribute of God. God loves. Absolutely God loves. God loves everyone. Amen. Saved, lost. Souls that are in heaven, souls that are in hell. God loves all of them. How many, if you believe that, raise your hand. Okay, I hope every hand is up. God loves everyone. But don't miss it. At some point, God's justice trumps His love. 
God has put forth a rule. He has put forth a standard. And the standard is, is that you must trust His Son for salvation. That's the rule. And He loved us so much that He put forth the plan in order to do that. As the Scripture says, before the foundations of the world, the Lamb was slain. So even before the world was spoken into existence, God had a plan. And that's His love, that He set forth a plan. He didn't have to, but He did. So then the rule is, you must accept His Son. You must put your faith and trust in His Son for the sacrifice of your, as the sacrifice for your sin. That's the rule. If you do not obey the rule, then judgment is rendered. So He loves, absolutely. But he also judges. Here, David says he was known by his judgment. I think sometimes we misunderstand and we, we miss pictures of God's judgment in our world. I don't know if you've ever been through a uh, major weather event. I have been through been through a couple hurricanes. That's not much fun. Here's what you find. If you file an insurance claim, most insurance companies when when they um, try to come up with the cause of how your home got flooded or destroyed, here's what they'll put. Act of God. That's what they used to. I don't know if they still do that. But that's how they used to describe it. Because there's, there's, no other way, there's no other way to describe it. Look up in here. It doesn't say Mother Earth. Let's hit that for a minute. It's called Act of God. You do know that God is in control of all things. Do you know that? Therefore, you, there's no way we can put it past God to render judgment through weather. We see weather events take place and we, we wonder what in the world happened? Why did this happen? Well, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you a possibility is, is that God is rendering judgment. David says, you are rendering judgment, but don't miss it. Don't miss what's happening. David says, you're rendering judgment on my enemies. It doesn't say, you're rendering judgment and I am not affected by the judgment. Don't miss it. David still had to fight the enemy. David still had to feel like he was alone. David still would have to face great armies so David was, didn't get pulled out of the whole situation, but God did render judgment. Think on the, Don't miss the point. We praise God for His transparency. Yes, God has showed us Himself through His love. He shows Himself through His Word, but He also shows Himself through His judgment. What about diseases? The disease that's in our world. 
Now listen, it doesn't mean if somebody contracts a disease that they are being personally being judged by God. But listen, our bodies are, have been cursed since Adam fell in the garden. God cursed the entire earth. So therefore our bodies are under a curse. So we are going to experience disease. And many die from disease. Why? Because their body is under a curse. Of course, don't miss the point. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a winner. So therefore, your soul cannot be affected by the disease. Your soul cannot be affected by the disease of the physical. So although you might be experiencing the judgment of God, not on you personally, but simply because you were born into sin. You might be experiencing God's judgment in your body, but in your soul, you're a winner. Don't miss the point. It's a psalm of transparency. It shows us God's approach to the world. Secondly, God's authority over the world. Look at verse number 19. Stop. Go up to 17. 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be true men. Or to be but men. I want to clarify for you that God has sole authority in this world. Any other authority is delegated authority. Satan himself has delegated authority. Every government on the planet has delegated authority from God. Every um, Local church, every local church pastor has delegated authority from God. God has ultimate authority over the entire world. And here's what he says, that in his authority, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I want to be clear with you this morning. I believe the reason... America has experienced God's great blessings in its past is because there was a time in this nation when we put God first. And there were moments in our history where we didn't do that. Slavery. Go down the list. And God judged us. You say, how did he judge us when it came to slavery? We had to go through a civil war. Millions of men died. I believe that was the judgment of God. But don't misunderstand. This nation has been blessed because of where we have placed God. But I believe you would agree with me that in recent years, we've moved far from him.
I believe the 2007 crash of our economic system was the judgment of God. And you, you should study up on that sometime and find out just how close we came as a nation to literally disintegrating economically. All these highfalutin billionaires and hedge, hedge fund managers lost billions and billions of dollars. These banks lost billions and billions, and so did the taxpayers because we had to bail them out <laughs> right there. Can, can I clarify my position on that? They should have never bailed them out. Say amen right there. Okay, checking your blood pressure right there. All right. But I believe that was the judgment of God. So here, David clarifies not just that he's thankful for God, but he shows us the transparency of God. It's a psalm of transparency. We realize God's approach to the world. God loves, oh yes, he's, he, he revealed his love in the cross, but also that God judges. But then he shows God's authority over the world. He shows his authority over the nations. And then in verse 20, don't miss, put, put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. In other words, God will put people in their correct place. And here's the point of this. In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that going on around us, as believers, in the midst of all of that going on around us, in the midst of everything going on around us in the world, all of this apostasy and wickedness that's going on, we're winning. We're still winners in Christ Jesus. So thirdly, I want to show you in closing a psalm of triumph. Let's look at the last phrase of verse 20. That the nations may know themselves to be but men. Here in verse 20, David reminds himself and he's reminding us that God will triumph over all. God will triumph. God's people will triumph. God's people will triumph. God's message will triumph. As I was reading the scripture earlier, I quoted the book of Isaiah where, the, where he wrote, The word of the Lord shall not return void. Friend, you can... You can be rest assured that if the book says it, it'll happen. Amen. If the book says it, it did happen. If the book promises it, it will happen. There are some great promises, amen? I mean, think about this for a minute. Creation. Yeah, it really happened. Did y'all know that? It really happened. In the beginning, God. I was, I was taught a song when I was a kid. I'm no kin to the monkey. No, no, no. The monkey's no kin to me. A amen right there. 
What was the middle part? Man, he's no kin to me. And then, anyway, there was a middle part, and the last phrase was, and I didn't swing from a tree. I mean, it really happened. God spoke this world into existence. What about the Bible itself? God gave us his written word. God gave us the complete word of God in 66 books of the Bible. And it was... It was ordained by God before the first letters of Genesis were ever written. You say, how do we know that, preacher? Well, the Bible says that in the tabernacle, as, they, as the children of Israel were wandering around the wilderness in the, in the tabernacle, they would set up the tabernacle to worship the Lord. And if you would go into the tabernacle, there was a table in the uh, holy place, which is just outside the holy of holies. And on that table was what was called showbread. And that table that they would use, there were 12 pieces of showbread. The table was not long enough, don't miss it now, to lay out all 12 pieces of showbread. So they would stack them six by six. Sixty-six. Long before... Moses penned those first words. The Spirit of God said, the canon book will be 66. We have a Bible. We have the promise of the Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for truth, for reproof, to rebuke, to exhort. We have a Bible. But in this psalm of triumph, I don't want you to miss too, though, the possible blessings. Remember, we're winning. We're winning because we were created by God. Say amen. We're winning because we were redeemed by God through Jesus Christ. Say amen. We're winning because we have His holy, eternal, infallible, uh, indestructible, indispensable Word. But in the midst of our winning, can I remind you of some of the possible blessings? Do you pray about future blessing? I do. I hope you do. One of those, I I pray for our girls. I mean, I pray for them right now. God, help. Yeah, you're not kidding. I pray for them. (laughs) Lord, have mercy. That Lydia, boy, I tell you what, she's eight. And has got a mouth like she's 18. Say amen. So I pray for them now. But can I tell you what I also pray about? Who they'll marry. I pray about who they're going to marry. I pray, I pray that they're, I, I pray that they're men of God. I, I, I pray that they're, that they would be, that they would meet and would marry men who will take a stand for what is right. Men that will lead their families. Yeah, I pray about that often. I pray for the parents of the the little boys right now. 
that will marry my daughters. I pray for their parents. I don't know who the kid is, but I'm praying for the parents. And I'm hoping, I'm, hope, I'm hoping real good that they whoop this kid so I don't have to when they meet my daughter. <laughs> no. But, but I'm, pr I'm praying. I'm praying for future blessings. But listen, I'm praying from the winning side. I'm praying from the fact that I am victorious. I'm a winner in Jesus Christ. And that, I, I, that God will bless me. He'll bless obedience. Yes, absolutely. He'll bless if you do it His way. So I'm praying for what's coming. That God would bless, that God would move. I pray for the future blessings of this church. I mean, I don't want to pop your bubble, but I ain't going to live forever. Did you know that? Don't get nervous. But I'm not going to live forever. I could drop dead tomorrow. And you'd all have to find another pastor. Y'all get mad and fire me tomorrow. You have to find another, find another pastor. Pray that you don't. <laughs> but, but I pray for the future of this church. This isn't about me. But I pray that whoever comes behind me will be faithful to the word of God. Whatever man or woman stands in this pulpit, they'll be faithful to the word of God. I pray for you and your families. I pray for, I'm, I love that we're going to pay off the, the debt and that's wonderful. That's all fine and dandy. But hey, listen, y'all, if that's all we're going to do, then let's just go to the house and forget it. It's wonderful. $140,000 in less than a year. Hallelujah. I mean, not hallelujah, hallelujah. It's more spiritual if you say it that way. The Holy Ghost is in that. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. But I want to see more people saved. I want to see more of you get deep in your spiritual life to become true disciples of Christ. I want to see God sanctify you and purify you as you live out your calling in Christ Jesus. I want to see you live lives of holiness. I want to see us lift up the blood-stained banner. I want to see us lift up the name of Christ. And if we lift Him up, all people will be drawn unto Him. I'm praying for future blessings. I'm praying for future leaders that are going to come. We have some good ones right now. We have good leaders right now. But they're not going to live forever. They're not going to be around forever. We, we, better, we best be discipling the next generation of leaders in the church. Amen. The old folk can't do it forever. Amen. But I pray about the future of the church. But listen, as I pray about this and as you pray about things like that, don't forget you're praying from a position of victory. You're praying from a position of triumph. Hey friend, thanks again for listening. I hope this message was a blessing to you. For more information about our church, go to our website at www.stantonfcog.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Stanton First Church of God. If this message helped you in any way, hit the share button below. Thanks again for listening, and always remember, God loves you, and so do I.